Well, hello, it's Michelangelo Caruso. I'm here with the one and only Lisa Ford. How are you, Lisa? I'm doing great. Thanks, Michael. It's fun to be with you today. Thank you for being here. Lisa Ford, for those of you that don't know, and how could you not know, is the person in the customer service space in the speaking industry. She's got a terrific video series aptly titled How to Give Exceptional Customer Service. And you're also a highly credentialed speaker, yeah, through NSA? Yes. Yeah, I um, luckily you know, have a lot of those great credentials that are ones that we strive for and can be proud of. Yep. You bet. She's both a CSP, which is a certified speaking professional, and also, uh, I think more importantly, she's received the CPAE Award, which is the Council of Peers Award for Excellence. These are, uh, these are credentials only given to the top speakers in the world, not only not only currently, but I think only about 250, 260 have received it. Yeah, I think that's about it. Yep, it's our, our so-called Speaker Hall of Fame. So well, thank I've you. Seen your, I've seen your videos, and more importantly, I've seen your content. It's fabulous, and that's why I wanted to talk to you today about customer service. I'm glad, I'm glad we can talk for a few minutes. So um, one of the um, things that occurs to me, um, I've also been enamored with this idea about why customers leave us, and what seems to be like this mirage that, that customer service providers often think that people leave or make decisions to leave about price. And it's not price most of the time, correct? It is not price most of the time. We even see tons of research that shows people are willing to pay. One of the latest ones came, came from American Express that said, if you provide a great customer experience, people will pay about 9% more. Hang on, that is a line I didn't expect to ring. Hang That's on. Right. I'd taken care of the cell phone, but I forgot about the home line. Does anybody ever call on our home lines anymore? <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> yes. for that one. Nine percent of the time is the is is the only time people leave because of price. Usually, it's something else. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What happens is they will actually pay nine percent more. Oh, I see. Thank you. A great customer experience. Yeah, and so how is it, and this is what strikes me, Lisa, we're not only factually incorrect about what the customer's thinking, but it also shows we don't know our customer nearly as well as we think we do. Why is that? All the, all the metrics now and measurable uh, uh, you know, evaluations and all that sort of thing, how can we be so dumb about the people that mean so much to us? Well, because in many cases, organizations are not investing as much as they need to in those metrics to make that determination. The other thing that's quite challenging in today's time is the customer has really become even more of a moving target. Uh, you know, they're picky, they're fickle, they're impatient, they're demanding, they're more sophisticated, they're more knowledgeable, and they're really quick to pull their business uh, and that that makes it more difficult but organizations that have figured it out really are looking at what you just mentioned those metrics and they're staying focused and dedicated to them and I think that's what's important I, too often companies it's nearly like customer service becomes popular for a few months and then something else becomes popular and then oh gosh we forgot we've got to get back on that customer service train again you know, I think there might be, I love what you said about how easy it is for people to switch off, and it occurs to me that there may be an inverse relationship between how easy it is to leave and how poor their customer service is. Think about banks and how hard it is to leave a bank. Like, 
my bank can treat me like crap and I'll never leave because it's so hard to disconnect all those auto pays and set them up again. Companies, bank, insurance companies and bank. That was my second example, insurance companies, because they increase the, like health insurance increases like clockwork after 12 months. Betting that you won't go through the trouble of doing a search again. I mean, they've got, they probably have all kinds of research on this as to when you'll actually shop them, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, we truly are somewhat captive in a few of those industries, which is such a shame. But I do believe there's always going to be a company that will disrupt that industry. And that's why in today's time, you've got to be incredibly relevant as an organization. You've got to think about what value are you creating through that customer experience. So the customer does want to buzz about you, say wonderful things. I mean, I think we've got to act as if every customer has 20,000 Twitter followers. You bet. You bet. And let's talk about the relationship between disruption and relevance because it's not immediately clear that disruption would even be valuable to a client or a customer. Uh, when you talk about disruption, you're actually talking about something that's welcome. Uh, it's unexpected and maybe unpredictable. But it's a welcome disruption. Can you give us some examples of, co of companies that have used uh, a customer service disruption to actually gain market share? Well, we can go back a lot of years. Think about when Amazon started. Yeah. And you would order, let's just go to a simple one, a book. Because that's how most of us started using Amazon, was buying yeah. a book from them. Those were the good old days. One, just a yeah. book. You would buy the book, and immediately you got an email that confirmed your order. And it was like, it went through. I mean, other companies weren't doing that. That was positive disruption. And then Amazon would tell you, if you bought this book, you might be interested in these other five. That's and right. All of a sudden you're like, wow, they changed the game. And mm -hmm. there are a few out there that are starting to figure that out uh, because they've got to play catch up now. You bet. And, you know, people learn from disruptions, right? Everybody was paying attention to Amazon. So now autoresponders are the thing and you get hammered with them, right? You get three thank yous for a simple book order uh, because we've, the, the pendulum has swung the other way. It's, it's swung from a single impressive disruption to overkill. And that if I'm going to communicate with my customer, it's got to be personalized. It's got to be customized. You've got to show as an organization you know that customer. You bet. Yeah, and, and that you know kind of their, their habits with you, how they immediately or initially started doing business with you. How do they come on to you via a site, via a mobile app, via a telephone call? You've got to be able to track that history so that you can have that chance of creating the experience that's relevant to that customer, one individual customer. And again, the best are starting to figure that out. So let's talk about that and give some tips to our listeners. Um, so one easy way in email to provide uh, customization is a simple mail merge. And yet I'm still stunned at how few subject lines actually call me by my name. I mean, it's almost like flagging themselves as spam as it comes through the, through the inbox. You would concur that uh, mail merge is a good idea in general? Yeah, it, it is a good idea in general. But again, it's got to be personalized. Mm -hmm. yeah, because again, that customer wants to feel special. They want to feel unique. That's the only way I'm going to remain loyal in today's time. It's also the only way I'm going to pay you a little more that night more if there's an experience that appeals to me. You're and right. 
it's too easy to go find the competition in today's time. So here's another idea, and I learned this one by accident. You, you may go through the same thing, uh, Lisa, because I know you speak all over the place. When I send an email to my list, I can do a mail merge, but ultimately everyone's getting the same message, and, and, it, and I can't fix that if it's going to 20,000 people. What I learned by accident is that if I send what I've started to call a geo mailing, for example, I'm coming to Arizona, and I put that in the subject line, I love Arizona, coming to your area soon, my uh, open rate almost doubles, and I think this is an example of what you're talking about, which is customization. Here I didn't actually identify them as an individual, but as a region I'm saying, I love your part of the country. Yes, and I tell you, that's a great tip for your listeners right now. It's a good example, Michael, of a tweak that has disrupted how you're using your mail merge. Great. You Love it. Um, so, Lisa, does it cost more money? Or let me build this question up a bit. You had mentioned in one of your videos that, um, that um, it's not what's keeping us from, from providing remarkable customer service is not a deficit in knowledge. You called it a deficit in execution. Could you explain that? Yeah, my, my concern is I don't think we have leadership management teams that are actually executing. Um, I, I think we know it. We mm. just don't do it. Customer service is not a new topic. Oh, my gosh. It, it's been on the cover of business magazines for 30 years now. And it's been the topic of so many business books, best-selling ones. Tom Peters probably put it on the map years and years and years ago in the early 80s in In Search of Excellence. Um, why aren't people doing it? And I think it's the execution piece. Uh, it, it's, it's a lot like our diet and exercise. We know it doesn't mean we do it. So leadership's got to put it on the agenda and keep it there and yeah. how to do that too is they've got to get team leaders or a vice president you know someone that truly has it as their job description their job title like the customer experience officer fairly popular position now in some of these leading organizations somebody's got to stay focused on it work in those metrics looking at training looking at hiring looking at what's talked about at meetings, looking at reward systems, celebrations, empowerment, all those issues, if they're going to really make it happen. And that's how we start to execute it. It's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of leadership blames the team, and yet it's the leaders that are holding everybody back. Somebody told me one time that the leader, let's see, the team improves usually right after the leader does. And so how often is it that the, that the leadership is setting the tone for things like relationship building, uh, communication skill sets, um, and the team can only uh, work within that culture. So I do think, I agree with you, it's a kind of a top-down thing. Okay, so now back to the leadership and, and, and money, because I'm getting from you that we have to spend more money to get better customer service training. Is that true? They're doing training. They just need to make certain the training focuses on customer experience and what's important to that customer. Okay. You know, rarely do companies bring a new employee in and throw them to the wolves. You know, they really do some type of training. So I'm not certain it costs a lot more. I think you've got to be really great at hiring. Okay. And then you've got to make certain to keep it on the agenda. Yep. People focused at meetings and quick huddles every morning. And that stuff doesn't cost anything. When somebody does do great service, are you highlighting it 
at the next team meeting. So the rest of the employees go, oh, so that's what they need me to do? Oh, so they say I'm empowered? Hmm, that's what empowerment looks like? I can do that. But organizations, I think, in many cases, have to take that leap of faith to let employees do that. And I think in many cases, it's also looking at what have you done as an organization that you've created barriers, not only for your employees and your customers, where you've made yourself difficult to do business with for the customer, all the hassles, all the roadblocks, all the friction points. And then for the employees, policies, procedures, systems, communication between certain departments, all the silos, that stuff has to be addressed and looked at. So we kill those obstacles, we kill those barriers. So now we can create the right experience for the customer, one that keeps them alive. I, uh, I had a client one time that told me, I was learning a little bit about the inside culture and they said that they started every day with what was called a trouble meeting. Trouble meeting. And I say, well, let me get this straight now. So that means you begin every day with trouble. And if you have that mindset as a team, as internally, imagine how you start thinking of the customer at the help desk, right? Everything's a problem. Everything's a problem. They're all trouble. You know, the customer's an interruption to my day. That's right. I'm here to help them. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's talk about some easy examples. You know, I, I, I think you're onto something there when you talk about how you don't have to spend scads of money. This is not a technical thing, customer service. It's been around since, you know, the Flintstones. This idea of getting people to smile, your employees to smile when they interface with customers, that is not high tech. No, it's not. It's using a certain tone of voice, yeah. you know, on that call. The smile. I mean, there's the old adage, you know, smile. They can hear it. It's right. been around for years. But it's true. Uh, other issues. Are we using somebody's name once, twice during a conversation? Long conversation, maybe three times. Otherwise, it feels weird. Those kind of things really need to be part of the culture. The thank yous, the gratitude that needs to be conveyed. Is there something in that conversation where the employee might say, oh, gosh, I see you've been one of our customers for seven years. Thank you so much for seven years of your business. That's great. Somebody just takes note of that. But you have to make those expectations clear to the employee that this is what you want of them. So yes, it's got to be training. It's got to be in the expectations. It's got to be in those morning huddles. Then when people are doing it, you got to celebrate it and get excited about it, even though it seems so simple. It's fundamentals. You bet. I'm with Lisa Ford, everybody. If you want more information about her great programs, her books, uh, her, her video series, you can find it at lisaford.com. Lisa, I was on a sales call doing some sales coaching one time with a, with a guy. We went out to the parking lot, and he said, well, how did I do? And I said, well, I think pretty good. I said, you know, um, you didn't use the person's favorite word at all during the 30-minute meeting. And, he, and it, he, this was a double aha because he didn't know what the favorite word was. We figured out in a second it's the person's name. He said, what do you mean? I used his name. I said, did you? I, he, I said, I took notes, man. You didn't never use the person's name one time in 30 minutes. He, and that was a big aha for him. How often is too much? You mentioned it gets creepy after a while. In 30 minutes, how often should we use the other person's name? Oh, gosh, in 30 minutes, if it were that long, I would say maybe a half a dozen times. Yeah. But for someone dealing with, you know, and again, if our customer has called us, because in many cases, customers aren't calling us anymore. 
you know, they're, they're doing chat bots, they're doing anything and everything. But if I've got my customer on the call, because this might be last resort, show you know them, use their name, and in a brief call, maybe three times. Let's talk about uh, other, other modalities. You mentioned that we don't see customers face-to-face -face like we used to. Sometimes we don't hear them on the phone as often as we used to. We're doing customer service now on weird platforms like Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, uh, and in fact, a lot of people know it, one of the best ways to get people's attention is on Twitter because if you're talking to somebody on the phone, only one person, person hears your complaint. But if you have that 20,000 uh, followers on Twitter that you mentioned, and you complain about a company, boy, they they fix it in a hurry, or at least re reply to you in a hurry. What are some best practices with social and with um, with some of these? Uh, you know, somebody pops a uh, complaint up on your website. What's best practices for getting back to them? Quickly, I mean, truly, it's the quick response that makes a difference. And again, you personalize it. It looks like somebody really is on top of it at that organization. You then do your best to get them to go one-on-one -on -one with you, kind of you know offline with you so you can communicate. But I think in many cases, people are just doing show around Facebook and Twitter, and they're not being quick on the draw when there is a, a complaint. So I think that's the real issue. Are you dedicating time, money, resources to the social media so that when there is a complaint, you're on it and you're on it fast. And do you have uh, an idea for software or how to best monitor customer service response times? What, what, do, you, what do you know when you're out in the field? Um, there's, there's a number of organizations. I'll leave that to your more technical um, folks um, that really know what works out there for many companies. Some that works better for small organizations, medium size, the large, but plenty of software that really helps you with that, those CRM um, programs. Well, we also know that uh, if you just want to pay attention, a spiral notebook will do the job, you know. Right? <laughs> your low-tech approach, but you're right. Someone complained at 402 and we responded at 404. It's really the, the main report that you want to see, right, or that we fixed it by 406. That's pretty good. That's right. And, and as we know, some of those best people out there in sales, some of the best leaders, they're the ones who are taking notes and they're tracking and they know what they're up to. So, I, so the, again, Kind of back to those great role models that make the difference, too, and those leaders that keep the focus on it. We're getting ready to wrap up, Lisa Ford. You had mentioned some industries that maybe uh, could do better with customer service. Which ones are the role models right now? Which ones are doing the best? We can learn from them and model them. I think hotel industries are doing um, really well right now. They're not only doing a better job with some of their training, but they're coming up with great technologies with faster check-ins. We can check in before you get to the hotel. So I think that's some cool stuff going on. Choose your own room now. Yeah, that's right. Yes. I also think you gotta go back to some of the tried and true Zappos. Yeah. Yeah, and again, it, you know, Amazon, on Zappos now, but they feel like a separate entity. You know, those organizations are still making a difference. That's and a that, that need a lot of help. I'm sorry to interrupt. There's a great customer service story from Zappos about how somebody had called Zappos, a customer of Zappos, had called at three o'clock in the morning. They're open, you know, 24 seven on the call center. And uh, he was frustrated because he couldn't order a pizza. He might've been a little inebriated. <laughs> And he couldn't find an open pizzeria, and he was complaining to the Zappos CSR. So the Zappos CSR found him a pizza and had it delivered, 
And they've been telling that story ever since. And they've got those kind of stories, though, are every day yeah. at Zappos. You bet. The CSR that hears a dog in the background and sends a dog treat. The CSR that can spend as much time as they need, they're empowered to do that on a call. So that's what's interesting to me, that those stories are not flukes. They're not one-offs. It's part of the culture. And you that's bet. what it's going to be about. CSR, customer service representative for the uninitiated. Uh, and I used it first, so it's on me, Lisa. Uh, you know, another uh, company I think that's really good with customer service are car rentals. You know, when you're flying around doing your talks, you find them, uh, they're really on you when you return that car because they know you're busy, you're ready to catch a flight. You will not wait for them. And they are all tooled up, aren't they? They are. They are. And, and you're right. They're right there and they've got everything they need on their hip. And that's a good thing. On their hip, they're doing everything remote. One of the first, they've been doing that in Europe for years where they bring the, uh, the server will bring the uh, machine to your table, right? Yes. Still, most restaurants in America don't do it. And, and I think the car rental places were first with that kind of remote, I'm bringing the cash registers to you uh, and, and receipt tape to you service. Fabulous. Well, and the other day I was in the Nordstrom shoe department. Not sure how I ended up there, um, but they did my sale right there while seated buying the shoes. I didn't have to go the oh, 25 steps to the counter. She had it, and I signed her little again iPhone feel um, item. You know, I'm not sure exactly what it is, but I had my shoes. I was out of there. And would you know Nordstrom would be the first to bring that to us? They've been in the, in the top echelon of customer service for a long time with their famous Nordstrom thank you, right? Exactly. Bringing the package around the counter to shake your hand and thank you properly for coming to their store. Beautiful. It is. And I tell you, though, it's tough to stay on top these days. And that's why I say you've got to continue to think kind of what's new, what's next, what's now, so that you can stay relevant and add value to that customer and that experience at that moment. Because th there's always going to be somebody on your heels ready to take your customer. You bet. And one of the best ways I know for people to stay up on what's happening is to follow Lisa Ford at lisaford.com. Follow her on Twitter. Get plugged in. She uh, really knows what's happening. And uh, if you get a chance, you should really uh, go hear her speak sometime. She's fabulous. Lisa, thank you so much for being on the call with me today. My pleasure. Thanks, Michael. See you later.